0: Episode 13, In Case of Emergency. If there's an emergency, you should always use a fire extinguisher. What if there's no fire? If there's an emergency, there's always a fire. That's why you call the fire department, duh.
1: Natural disasters can strike at any time, so don't just cross your fingers and bury your head in the sand. Always be prepared. Of course, we should hope for the best, but we also need to prepare for the worst, like fire, flood, earthquakes, tornadoes, and hurricanes.
0: Or a massive zombie infestation. Yeah, I call that an HFOZ. It stands for House full of Zombies.
2: Zombies are totally the worst. If the
1: point of paleo is to optimize health, we're not doing ourselves any favors if we're caught in an emergency without food, water, and basic tools for survival. You
0: can't thrive if you're not alive. Because of zombies. Always be prepared to escape a
1: HFOZ. <laughs> so listen up as we teach you how to put together a paleo-friendly emergency preparedness kit. Also, you won't want to miss our rundown of our recent trip up to Portland for Chef Gregory Gourday's super insane 40th birthday party.
0: Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and non-tastic.
1: We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook.
2: And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O.
0: Hello. And Lil O. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever.
1: They're the reason we do what we do.
0: What we ate! So, Mom and Dad, what did you guys eat in Portland after you left me and Ollie here in the Bay Area with Grandma and Grandpa?
2: Hey, you know we would have brought you with us if Gigi's party was open to kids, right?
0: What happens in adult parties anyway? What do adults do? Do you watch rated R movies or something? Do you smoke beer? No, we don't smoke
1: beer. I don't even drink beer.
2: Let alone smoke it. But you know what? Let's tell you all about our trip to Portland.
1: You know how much I love Portland.
2: Is it because the dream of the nineties is alive in Portland? Portland, Portland. The dream of the 90s is alive in Portland. Portland. Tattoo ink never
1: runs dry. Maybe. Remember you know that scene in the first episode of Portlandia where Fred Armisen tells Carrie Brownstein about all the stuff that's great about Portland, and it's played for laughs? I actually didn't laugh, because it all made sense to me.
2: Remember when people were content to be unambitious, sleep till 11, and just hang out with their friends? I mean, he had no occupations whatsoever, maybe working a couple hours a week at a coffee shop?
1: right
2: that died out a long time ago <laughs> not in portland portland is a city where young people go to retire
1: i mean i know the stereotype of portland is that it's all about hipsters and hippies and that people there are kind of frivolous and out there but i kind of like it i love the city and the food scene from the emphasis on farm to table cuisine to the abundance of food trucks and street food it's also a place where paleo and gluten free aren't seen as super crazy and where people seem more open to questioning the status quo particularly when it comes to health and wellness
2: And strangely enough, I know you're a big fan of the weather there. You definitely prefer wet and chilly to hot and sunny.
1: I know, I'm weird like that. But the outdoors is why I love the Pacific Northwest. The gorges just north of Portland are beautiful. When we've gone hiking there with the kids, I just fell in love.
2: That was right after we got lost and almost got stranded in the woods, remember?
1: And I still loved it.
2: I really like Portland, too. The city, the restaurants, the coffee, the bookstores, they're all great, and I never pass up a chance to visit Portland with you. And over the past few trips, you seem to be getting more and more serious about actually picking up and moving there.
1: Yeah. People think I'm kidding, but I'm not.
2: So when our friend Gregory, who I hope all of you out there in listener land all know from episode three of our podcast, invited us to his 40th birthday party in Portland, There was no question that we were going to go head up there.
1: And not just because we love Portland, we also love Gregory. Those of you who rooted for him on Top Chef this past season probably got the sense from watching the show that Gregory's a wonderful guy. And you're not wrong. He's one of the nicest, most generous, and talented people we've ever met.
2: Gregory's restaurant, Departure, is on the top floor of the Nines Hotel in downtown Portland, where we decided to stay for the weekend.
1: And when we arrived in our hotel room, we were greeted with a lovely spread of stumped-on coffee, charcuterie from Urban Farmer, which is another restaurant in the Nines Hotel, fruit, nuts, and a cozy Pendleton blanket. It was kind of over the top. I mean, we were there to celebrate Gregory's birthday, and he was giving us gifts.
2: We didn't end up eating everything on the tray, though, because we were rushing off to Gregory's actual birthday dinner.
1: Honestly, I have no idea how we managed to make the cut for this dinner. It was a small birthday celebration at Imperial where Dougie Adams cooks. Dougie, as you guys may remember, was also on Top Chef this past season, and he came in third behind Gregory and the winner May.
2: I think there were about 18 of us at the dinner. The other attendees at the dinner were Gregory's roommate, Tia, some of his close friends from Portland, his chef friend Lon Semenzma of Cholon in Denver, and a bunch of his friends from high school.
1: And we were seated at a table with Gregory's sister and brother-in-law from New York. Oh, and also Anasia, one of the best DJs in the country, and two out of the three members of the Glitch Mob, Justin and Josh. If you heard episode six of our podcast, you know how much I love the Glitch Mob's music. I think I even convinced Justin and Josh to buy an Instant Pot. Ed wasn't there, but if I managed to get two-thirds of the glitch mob to do more pressure cooking, that's a win in my book. Justin and Josh are really into food and they used to have a tumblr called the glitch nom (laughs) which I think is pretty cool that chronicled their culinary adventures currently they post all their eats on snapchat and they even agreed to be interviewed for this podcast about how they find great food while on the road but we couldn't find time on this trip to fit it in
2: I for one had a blast at the dinner the conversation was fun and lively and the food was just amazing The menu for Gigi's party was an impressive mix of Imperial's greatest hits and also a number of gluten-free dishes.
1: Even though Gigi eats gluten-free and dairy-free, and even though he doesn't generally eat red meat, he didn't limit the menu to his dietary specifications. And that just shows that he's a great host and totally selfless.
2: So Michelle, do you want to give us a taste of what was served?
1: Sure! We shared everything family style, and the first course consisted of fresh oysters on the half shell, hamachi crudo with marinated foie gras and summer truffle, And Portland Pokey with hazelnuts, serrano, scallion, ponzu, and Jacobson sea salt. Next, we had caramelized green beans topped with a sunny side egg and kimchi. We also had grilled broccolini, charred eggplant puree, olives, feta, and bocorones, which are cured anchovies. And after that, we had a Sovie Island broccoli salad with grilled onions, hazelnuts, and roasted garlic vinaigrette. The table was also served Parker House rolls and grilled flatbread, but I didn't have any.
2: I will confess that I had some of the flatbread, but hey, it was a special occasion.
1: I saw that you also enjoyed the fried chicken too, which came as part of the third course.
2: Absolutely. I could not resist. It was fried chicken with Texas pickles, local honey, and Imperial's house made hot sauce. Is that good? You gave me some. You gave me some. I have more chicken. No, I had a lot of the fried chicken. Fried chicken was the kitchen also brought out roasted chicken with greens and aioli, Flat iron steak marinated with guajillo, chili, and serrano. And they served that with a ginger aioli and black sesame. We also had albacore a la plancha with heirloom tomatoes, pole beans, and olive vinaigrette.
1: And don't forget the heirloom tomatoes with honey and chili glazed melon, tomatillo, and queso fresco. And amber roasted potatoes with butter dill and Jacobson sea salt.
2: Those were some good potatoes. They were smashed, and the simple butter and sea salt combination was killer.
1: My one regret from this quick trip to Portland was not having enough time to stop by Jacobson for more sea salt. Anyway, the dessert was a huge pink birthday cake that Gigi and his pastry chef, Aaron, codenamed Trixie. It was so good, no one would have guessed that it was a gluten-free and dairy-free cake. In fact, after I posted a picture of it on Instagram, a ton of folks asked for the recipe, and Aaron ended up posting it on her Instagram. I'll link to it in the show notes.
2: The cake was served with a cherry coconut ice cream that was incredible, too.
1: After dinner and cake, the fun continued. We went to a local speakeasy and hung out for a bit. I can't hold my liquor, so I just drank some mineral water and hung out with Gigi's high school friends and the guys from the glitch mob. We then headed over to Gigi's restaurant, Departure, where we were served even more food, like sushi, skewers, and some of Gregory's signature dishes.
2: Though we were probably, at that point, a little too stuffed to pack that down, there were some awesome custom birthday cocktails as well, though. They were all named after the birthday boy. One was called Gregory Gordaddy, one was Sleazy gordizi and then the last one was simply named Gigi.
1: It was kind of surreal to be there for Gigi's 40th. Dougie and Mae from Top Chef showed up, and the little lounge area at Departure was roped off. It just felt crazy to be hanging out with some of my favorite musicians and some of my favorite chefs. It felt like pinching myself. Like, why are we even here?
2: We are totally not worthy.
1: Totally. Anyway, the next morning... We woke up on the late side and decided to grab lunch. We went to Padi, which is a new Thai place that Kaya, a Portland native and close friend of Gigi's, had recommended. So here's the thing. Whenever I meet someone local who I click with about food, I'll pester them incessantly as to where we should eat. And
2: hope that they don't get too annoyed with you.
1: Right. Anyway, Kaya told me that Padi was the new Pok Pak, only more gluten-free friendly. And I loved it. We ordered the Pekai Todd, which are fried chicken wings brushed with a sriracha fish sauce glaze a wild prawn salad with lemongrass, scallions, tomato shallots, and ground rice in a spicy lime dressing over chopped romaine, and pla trout tad nam pla. I don't think I'm pronouncing these right, but it was a (laughs) fried whole trout with apple salsa.
2: Did it bring you back to Thailand?
1: A little bit. We didn't have these dishes when we were visiting northern Thailand, but it's been a while since we had Thai food, and I have to say that I absolutely enjoyed my meal at Padi. After lunch, we took a walk around the neighborhood.
2: Because you're scoping out homes for sale, right?
1: Of course. And then we hiked on over to catch the private shuttle to Gigi's 12-hour beach rave on Sovie Island. Yeah, I think he had three parties total for his birthday.
2: (laughs) We could only make it to two.
1: Yeah, so the weather that Sunday was pretty temperamental. And it was supposed to be a beach rave, but it started raining cats and dogs. Luckily, there was plenty of space under the party tents for the guests, but the guys roasting the whole pig had to stand out in the rain. So shout out to Wallow and Root Pasture Farm for raising the pig, B.J. Smith of Smokehouse 21, and Han Lee Huang of Kim John Grillin for cooking it in the rain.
2: Speaking of food, there was lots of it besides the whole roasted pig. There was an impromptu sushi bar manned by P.J. Yang from Bamboo Sushi of Portland. He was slicing up super fresh Oregon albacore from Flying Fish PDX, and it was drop-dead amazing. There was also barbecue chicken, vegetables, and salad from Ava Jeans, Longbon, and Podnus Pit.
1: Don't forget about dessert. Oh,
2: yeah. How could I forget about dessert? There were these coolers that were just Filled to the top with single serving size containers of ice cream from Salt and Straw, which is an insanely popular artisanal ice cream maker in Portland.
1: Salt and Straw has a scoop shop also in L.A. And true story, a few months ago, my sister Fiona and I got into a car accident in L.A. All because I wanted to go to Salt and Straw for dessert. We never made it to Salt and Straw because the car was totaled. It's a
2: good thing you guys didn't get hurt. Can you imagine having to tell people that you had to be hospitalized due to a craving for ice cream?
1: As luck would have it, my first taste of salt and straw ice cream was at Gregory's party. The folks at salt and straw had used gluten-free pie from Petunias in Portland to make a gluten-free, dairy-free strawberry and rhubarb pie ice cream using coconut milk.
2: As you know, I am an ice cream fanatic, so I definitely helped myself to more than one serving of ice cream there.
1: More like three servings
2: possibly four. Four? I I ate another one while you were shooting your first Periscope video.
1: Oh yeah. At the party, Justin Beretta of the Glitch Mob gave me a tutorial on how to use Periscope to shoot streaming, interactive, real-time videos with my phone, which are broadcast for 24 hours to anyone who follows me on the Periscope app. Say hello. Hi, everybody. This is my first Periscope. This is our first first, first Periscope. Oh, is this the first one? Yeah, this first. our very first. Nom, 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 nom. I've been kind of intimidated by the prospect of using Periscope, but once I got started, I discovered that it's pretty fun. Yeah. So now look, those people. are all people to try me me Look it. Oh, look, Paleo Chef, hi. Hey, everybody. See? Some of you may have seen my first Periscope video. I shot it at Gigi's party to show our viewers the amazing spread of food. My first video featured Henry eating pork, Josh of the Glitch Mob eating onigiri, Justin as the cameraman, Gregory, of course, and yeah. May from Top Chef. Yeah. So, hey, everybody! Hi, this is Justin Beretta. Of, I'm Justin. Yes, of Glitch Mob. The hi hell? from Memphis. How's it going? I'm world famous DJ. I can't promise that my future Periscopes will be a star studded, but I've been posting a few videos here and there, and I've had a lot of fun interacting with viewers. So if you get a second, go follow me at NomNomPaleo on Periscope, because who knows when I'll shoot one again.
2: The rest of the party was a blast too. So luckily the sun came out and it stayed out for the rest of the day. We got to see a bunch of friends and familiar faces there as well.
1: I'm totally an introvert, but I really enjoyed meeting Gigi's friends and getting to know them. Everyone was so nice and generous, just like Gigi. I love seeing our pals Heather and Joe from Cultured Caveman, who coincidentally just got married this past weekend, so congratulations! And I always love hanging out with Allison Jones, and I also got to talk with Katsuji from Top Chef, which made me really happy because I think the guy is hilarious. And we got to catch up briefly with Nong, who deserves every success for her Kaomangai restaurant empire. She asked about Owen and Ollie and wondered where our babies were, which was really cute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think she'd be shocked at how big our little babies are now that they're actually fast-growing boys. I have to say, though, that at the party, I felt a little old and creaky. It's been a long time since I was out that late. When the sun went down by the river and the DJs started spinning, I was kind of already beat.
1: Okay, Grandpa. (laughs)
2: The music was great, though, and now I can actually say that I stood next to the glitch mob as they played to an intimate tent full of sweaty dancers. And really, when is that going to happen again?
1: We left before midnight, but I got a text message from Justin the next morning saying they were there till after two in the morning.
2: I'm exhausted just hearing that.
1: On Monday, our last morning in Portland, we ended up having a lazy breakfast at Broder, a cute Nordic restaurant in southeast Portland. We shared the Swedish hash with smoked trout and a little square skillet of baked egg scramble with lamb sausage. After rambling around the neighborhood and doing some informal house hunting, we had lunch at Bollywood Theater where we shared a goan style shrimp and chicken curry. You know, you have an
2: uncanny knack of finding food that I really, really like.
1: Well, I found these places the way I always do. By asking locals with discriminating tastes, checking out top recommendations in the local press, and then narrowing it down with Yelp. Also, you can tell by the way I order. I always pick items that I want to try, and then we share them. And my taste is pretty good, wouldn't you say?
2: Yes. Yes, I will say.
0: You better. I wish you brought us back some of that food. I just wish if you brought back an autograph for me from the glitch mob. You promised. I'm sorry,
1: buddy. I forgot.
0: And the glitch mob is my favorite. Next time, okay? The main course. So,
2: remind me again, Michelle, why are we talking about paleo emergency preparedness kits today?
1: Well, natural disasters are on my mind. As we record this episode, there's a massive wildfire burning just north of Napa with something like 40 homes destroyed. Tornado season isn't quite over yet in Canada. And of course, we live in the San Francisco Bay Area where we lived through the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. We're still perched right on top of the San Andreas Fault.
2: We're just waiting for the big one to hit one of these days.
0: You mean like in San Andreas the movie? Oh my God.
2: The Earth will literally crack open, and you will feel it.
0: Is that the one with the rock? He goes by Dwayne Johnson now, Ollie. It's more respectable. Rock's name is Dwayne Johnson? What? I love you, Dad.
1: On top of all that, as we just talked about, I'm really not kidding when I say I want to move to Portland. And last month, there was a splashy article in The New Yorker that a humongous earthquake is going to decimate a huge portion of the coastal Pacific Northwest.
2: Yeah, I remember you were too freaked out to even read the entire article.
1: I skimmed the summaries that popped up on other websites. It was enough.
2: I read it. Here, let me grab the article and read from a section I highlighted. So it says in this section... In the Pacific Northwest, the area of impact will cover some 140,000 square miles, including Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, Eugene, Salem, the capital city of Oregon, Olympia, the capital of Washington, and some 7 million people. When the next full margin rupture happens, that region will suffer the worst natural disaster in the history of North America. Roughly 3,000 people died in San Francisco's 1906 earthquake. Almost 2,000 people died in Hurricane Katrina. Almost 300 died in Hurricane Sandy. FEMA projects that nearly 13,000 people will die in the Cascadia earthquake and tsunami. Another 27,000 will be injured. And the agency expects that it will need to provide shelter for a million displaced people and food and water for another 2.5 million.
1: I did not need that reminder. Everything about the article is terrifying.
2: The point of the article, though, was to wake people up, because the Pacific Northwest hasn't seen an earthquake in 300 years, so people aren't naturally prepared for a massive quake at all. The writer of the article wrote a follow-up last week with some clarifications and saying, hey guys, just be prepared.
1: And that's the advice we need to take to heart. I mean, we're so used to little mini-earthquakes here that we almost take for granted that we'll be able to sail through without any problems.
2: But up until now, we've really been kind of terrible at disaster planning, at least in our household.
1: Well, all of that is going to change right now. Right this second. Really, I mean it.
0: Does this mean we're going to buy big packages of emergency food powder at Costco? Uh, no.
1: It's true that at Costco, we've seen displays showing how you can buy a one-year supply of freeze-dried food that'll feed a family of four for $4,000. I suppose that's fine if you have a ton of room to stockpile a one-year supply of dehydrated food and you have access to a year's worth of water to rehydrate it all, but it sounds kind of gross.
2: And more importantly, it assumes that you'd be able to choke down freeze-dried food for a
1: full year. Exactly. Look, if it's a matter of life or death, go ahead, buy it and eat it. But there are certainly better alternatives. When I look closely at the description of what's in this stuff, it's totally processed. It's a totally processed chemical cocktail. Even the ingredients for what they're calling chicken consists of things that most people can't pronounce or recognize. Textured soy flour, soybean oil, salt, autolyzed yeast extract, hydrolyzed corn protein, natural smoke flavoring, thiamine, hydrochloride, dextrose, disodium inosinate, disodium guanylate.
0: But disodium guanylate is my favorite food, Mom. Really? Me too. That sounds delicious. (laughs)
1: talk about how to assemble our own emergency preparedness kits. According to FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, here's what should be in a basic emergency preparedness kit. First of all, water. You need it to live, people. Stockpile at least 1 gallon of water per person per day for at least 3 days for drinking and sanitation. If you have an extra freezer, put a couple of gallons in there. That way, even in a power outage, you can keep your freezer stuff cold for a while with the extra ice, and you'll have extra water, too. Next, make sure you have some household chlorine bleach and a medicine dropper. When diluted 9 parts water to 1 part bleach, bleach can be used as a disinfectant. Or in an emergency, you can use it to treat water by using 16 drops of regular household liquid bleach per gallon of water. Do not use scented, color safe, or bleaches with added cleaners.
2: Is it true that you can actually drink water with bleach in it?
1: I think if it's diluted enough, because it'll kill the bad stuff.
2: And I guess it's better than drinking dirty water.
0: Yeah, that'll make you sick. I mean, you need water, or you'll be toast. You can only survive two days without water. You need to stock up, Mom. Our garage has no more water after you did Kamri.
2: What about food?
0: You can survive for about three weeks without food. No, five weeks.
1: Three. Well, it's still a good idea to have a bunch of non-perishable food on hand. The recommended amount is at least a three-day supply. We'll talk more about that in a second, but first let's cover some of the essential gear.
2: Definitely flashlights, right?
1: Yep. You'll want to have a battery-powered or hand-crank radio and plenty of extra batteries, too. Don't forget your prescription drugs. But remember, these expire, so you'll need to periodically replace them in your emergency kit. First aid supplies are a must, and warm clothes and sturdy, comfortable shoes, too. And pack a whistle in case you need a signal for help.
2: You know what's super important? Duct tape. Duct tape is a lifesaver. It's pretty much the most useful MacGyver tool ever.
1: What gave you that idea?
2: Well, I'm reading The Martian right now by Andy Weir. And the main character is this guy who gets stranded on Mars after a NASA mission that's gone bad. And he uses duct tape to save himself pretty much all the time. Duct tape and plastic tarp. He's the MacGyver of Mars.
1: Well, it's not a bad idea. Plastic sheeting and duct tape is great, and also, you need to bring a toolkit.
2: If possible, pack a tent and some sleeping bags, or at least have them handy in your garage. Ideally, you should prep like you could be going on an unexpected camping trip at the drop of a hat.
1: Only without the s'mores.
0: But s'mores are delicious! Yeah! I love marshmallows! They're gluten-free!
2: So what are some paleo-friendly food items you recommend packing in an emergency kit, Michelle? And what would you stick it all in?
1: Well, I recommend buying like a giant Rubbermaid tote and filling it with all the provisions you need. I'd start by throwing a can opener in there because the worst thing in the world would be to have a huge container of canned food and no way to open it.
2: What kind of canned food do you have in mind?
1: Well, canned fish for sure. And believe it or not, I'd recommend tossing some containers of spam in there too, the no-MSG kind.
2: Spam. As in
1: Spam. Yeah, believe it or not, Spam is made with just six ingredients. Pork shoulder and ham, salt, water, potato starch, sugar, and sodium nitrate. Look, I know it's not exactly the best quality pork, and I know these ingredients aren't all paleo, but we're talking about an emergency here.
2: And in emergencies, you need to get the most bang for your buck, or in this case, the most nutritional bang for the space.
1: That's why meat and fish would be the things I prioritize. That's why I would also pack a bunch of beef jerky like Paleo Kits or Primal Packs, which also contain nuts and dried fruit. Others might prefer meaty bars like Epic Bars or Tonka Bars.
2: Nuts and dried fruit can last a while.
1: Yep, olives too. You can store some coconut butter or nut butters too. I love me nut butters. I
0: like Justin's chocolate hazelnut butter.
2: Coconut's a good idea. Coconut oil and coconut flakes will keep for a long time.
0: I like coconut butter. Can we stock some of that? We already have stocked on that for like a month. The only coconut thing I like is a Odwala mango tango smoothie. That barely has coconut in it. Well,
1: you like honey. Honey also has a long shelf life and it's nutrient dense. Plus, honey can be used to dress wounds.
2: Dress wounds? Really?
1: Yeah, it has antimicrobial properties. I'm not saying you shouldn't also have triple antibiotic ointments in your first aid kit, but in a pinch, honey's pretty versatile. And honey tastes way better than Neosporin. Personally, dark chocolate's a great choice too. I mean, if it's the end of the world, I'm going to want something that'll calm me down and help me focus.
2: If you have meat in your freezer that starts to thaw because of a power outage, you're going to need a way to cook it up. That's when having a backyard grill will come in handy. If it's a charcoal grill, make sure you have plenty of charcoal at the ready. And matches.
1: Matches and lighters are handy for lanterns and other non-electric lighting. Though there's this solar-powered inflatable light that I saw on Shark Tank called Luminade, which I really want to get. Mostly because it looks so cool.
2: Will it spark joy?
1: I think so. It will spark light on those dark, dark nights.
2: (laughs) That's so corny.
1: (laughs) But it's pretty cool.
2: I'll have to check it out. Um, so you just chuck all this stuff in your Rubbermaid tub and you're good to go, right?
1: Well, not quite. Make sure you also keep a list of when things will expire so you can change them out at the appropriate time. We used to do that all the time at the hospital. Working as a pharmacist, we had a crash cart filled with emergency medicine that we would pull out when someone flatlined and a code blue was called. To make sure we had non-expired drugs, we'd have to periodically refresh the meds. And that's the same thing you have to do with your emergency kit.
2: And find a place where you can store everything.
1: If you don't have a ton of space, pack what you can in the space you have. As with eating paleo, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Don't stock nothing because you can't stock everything. Even a little bit of preparedness is better than being caught completely by surprise, with no emergency supplies available to you at all.
2: So the moral of the story is, always be prepared.
0: To escape an Hosey. Of the week. What's our family's crush of the week, kids? So, our crush of the week is Exploding Kittens, the card game. Yeah. We like this game because it's funny and it's really fun to play with.
2: Exploding Kittens is all over social media this week, so if you've been on Instagram or Facebook, you probably haven't been able to avoid it.
1: So, what is it, Henry?
2: Exploding Kittens is a card game that made history when it became the most backed game in Kickstarter history. Uh, It's also the campaign with the most number of backers ever. Mostly because it's built on the back of the work of Matthew Inman of The Oatmeal, who is this really irreverent cult cartoonist who posts a lot of stuff online. He also has a best-selling line of humorous graphic novels that he puts out with Andrews McNeil, our publisher.
1: So we love his stuff.
2: And not just because we share a publisher.
1: Right. That's why we backed this Kickstarter, because it's awesome.
2: It is a pretty awesome and fun little game.
1: Yeah, it's like a highly strategic, kitty-powered version of Russian Roulette.
0: The objective of the game is just try not to explode. It's just like Russian Roulette, but with cards and you don't actually die. Well, that was a good explanation. So basically, you get four cards as a start, and then you keep on picking cards. And the first person who picks a card that says Exploding Kittens explodes and dies. Okay, not really, but like in the game. The cards have really funny cartoons. One example is a weird messed up looking cat that barfs rainbows. Another example is Beard Cat, which is a cat that lives in people's beards. Third example is a cat that's farting on someone who's sleeping. (laughs) Question of the week.
2: For this week's question of the week, Richard sent an email and asked, I'm a paleo aficionado who's trying to convince his wife to give it a try too. Sound familiar? One of her sticking points, though, is breakfast. She really likes the convenience of grabbing a cliff bar on her way out the door, so I'd be interested to hear any ideas y'all have about similarly convenient yet still paleo-friendly breakfast options.
1: Frittata muffins.
2: That's the answer.
1: (laughs) My prosciutto-wrapped frittata muffins are a make-ahead, portable, and freezable breakfast treat. Plus, they're approved by Jesse Tyler Ferguson of Modern Family. Posted a picture of them on Instagram. But in all seriousness, just think of breakfast as another meal. I'm always in a hurry in the morning because I'm rushing to get the kids ready for camp or school. And I just grab a cold drumstick from the fridge. Or I eat a small pile of sauerkraut like a few minutes later and then I chomp on a few macadamia nuts. And that is breakfast. It's protein, fat, and veggies for the win.
2: I also really like the spicy tuna cakes from our cookbook. You can make them in a muffin tin, and I love the unexpected combination of sweet potato and tuna and chilies. My other favorite is what I'm going to call Asian breakfast hand rolls. Just get some toasted nori, scramble some eggs, and slice up some avocado. You can roll the eggs and avocado up in the sheets of seaweed like a Japanese hand roll. and Then you can even squirt on some sriracha or sprinkle on some furikake. It's something you can hold in your hand while you run out the door. Oh, and speaking of eggs, I think lazy devils, which are just sliced hard-boiled eggs smeared with, you know, a spicy mayo and some other toppings, are a great and fast option, too.
1: Yeah, or you could eat a slice of frittata or grab a drumstick or a handful of cold cuts or some nuts. But if you want some better ideas... You can also check out my pal Diana Rogers' book, Paleo Lunches and Breakfasts on the Go, which is chock-full of recipe ideas for busy people who are running out the door in the morning.
0: Or just eat breakfast with your hands like I do. You can't get away with that when you're an adult, Ollie. You still eat with your hands in your tent. Uh, no. I I see you! No, no, no. Yes, I, I do! Whatever, Ollie. No, really, I see you. I'm not an adult yet. You're almost an adult.
1: So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire.
2: This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price, and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order.
1: And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com.
2: And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom Nom Paleo
1: podcasts.